In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Paul spells out our survival guide, what we need as followers of Jesus for those times of life when we go off the road. Many things can take us into the ditch of life, failure, disgrace, all manner of crimes and misdemeanors, but we are looking today at something more benign. That is something not so much associated with one's own doings or misdoings. We're looking at illness, sickness, at those times in life when something within one is not running smoothly and the dysfunction of the part threatens to disrupt the whole, if not bring it down. Marie-Louise von Franz has said that joy is a state that occurs when something is doing what it is supposed to do. When illness strikes, something, some part of the body or the soul, stops doing what it is supposed to be doing within the economy of the whole and begins working for itself. Maybe it has no choice, it has come under attack by something from without and has to draw all the support it can for its own struggle for survival. And help also, maybe, must come from without if the bodies or soul's own inherent defenders are routed. But there is no joy in life in the simple act of living anymore. You are no longer working within the whole for the good of the whole, and you might bring the whole thing down with you. That's how the body is constituted and the psyche and the interconnection of embodied souls that constitute communities of all kinds. We are meant to live together by working together, everything and everyone in its place, doing what it is supposed to be doing. That is what God has called it to do. Joy, that's our idea of heaven too, heaven on earth. And we have all experienced that joy, at least in part. We have really experienced 100%, I should say, but only in fits and starts from time to time as joy has come into our lives and then seemingly vanished again. No matter, a little joy will go a long way. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Well, we'll get to our two healing stories, but I am fascinated by this little poem by St. Paul. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Survival, Paul is saying, just keeping on, keeping on, is no small thing. If we can tune our bodies and souls to the Holy Spirit rhythm of the Communio Sanctorum, somehow resisting those things that tear us apart and tear us down from within and without, then just existing, going from breath to breath, from heartbeat to heartbeat, just existing will bring us right into the heart and the breath of God, who is regulating things. If we deny him, he will also deny us. 
But bear with me, some of the ways we deny God is not by rejecting him outright, but by damning him with faint praise. I mean the thing called deism. Give me an atheist any day than one who has exiled God like a great clockmaker to the periphery of the world he made only to watch it unwind from a safe distance. Deism has found its home in that most unlikely place, the charismatic movement, which has bought into this whole worldview. I was there for many years. I can speak about it. To them, God is by default absent. God is by default absent. And he can only be brought back into this world, but only by very special people with extraordinary effort, with very special gifts, with prayer only of a certain kind. Otherwise, good luck. Why pick on them? Because when you have to pray God into a situation, and one sees this specifically in a certain approach to healing prayer, when you've got to bring God into something, then you are assuming that he is not normally part of things down here. Indeed, that things can unwind and get pretty far off the rails down here without him even being aware, and that he will not do anything unless directed by us. The harder we work, the harder he works. And that puts us back in control, back in the center, right where we like it. We see in these remarkable healing stories, however, something very unlike this model of healing prayer happening. Naaman the Syrian is ready for signs and wonders, and he's very disgruntled when he doesn't get them. Go down to the stream, he is told. Do it yourself. You don't need me to lift up my hands and pray over you. That muddy stream, says Naaman, you call that a river? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually not said to you, Wash and be clean? Some little girl... Amazing how many times in scripture women are there when redemption needs to be done. Some little girl, a slave, someone whom Naaman has actually torn away from her mother in his military exploits is the source of redemption here. Her readiness to insinuate kindness, to witness to the God of grace heals him. But God does more. God saves him. Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. He said, that's a conversion. Even if he was just saying that, he said it. Faith, we call it. Only God, the Holy Spirit, could have put such words in his mouth, as Paul himself will later say. Again, we have the slave girl to thank for putting it all together. She could well have been indisposed at any thought of seeing one who had done her such unkindly turns now healed. She was not. Might this also have played into his conversion? I wonder. The handmaid's counterpart in the gospel narrative is Jesus. He heals the, like Naaman the Syrian, foreigners. These, however, are not kings from afar. They are lepers, and therefore they are outcasts. Sin, whether due to something you had done or didn't do, or had done to you, was always assumed to be the cause of illness. 
in Jesus' time, and it was contagious. The counterparts of the prophet Elisha, who, bless him, does nothing, are the unnamed priests. <laughs> they too do nothing, <laughs> no surprises here, to contribute to the leper's healing. They get to pronounce it on it. However, this is what priests always do. Watch for something the laity have usually done and then make some pronouncement about how wonderful it is. Only one leper thinks to give thanks, Eucharisteo. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Your faith has saved you, Jesus says, your faith Sozo, not healed you, saved you, as in, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, sozo, of course, can mean restored to health, but for us, in this context, its primary meaning is salvation. The two, to heal, to restore to health, and to save, rescue, are fundamentally related. One more word, Jesus also says, rise, anastos, as in Christ is risen. Is this then a conversion? God doing the heavy lifting all on his own? Our hearts have been warmed to return to our Reformation heritage today. If it's all God's doing, then the Samaritan's return, giving thanks, is due to his having had the desire to give thanks implanted in his heart by God as an act of grace. So if there is one thing for which we should give thanks, it is the desire to give thanks. No doing of ours, a gift of God. Indeed, Karl Barth sums up his whole church dogmatic, the famous Vice Elephanta, that white elephant, all those volumes which we have downstairs in our library with these words. All that God asks is our thanks. All that he asks is our thanks. And that is what defines and what makes a Eucharistic community such as ours. The capacity to give thanks and to seek to give thanks and to find thanks, to give in the depths of despair as well as in the exaltation of victory in sickness and in health and to give thanks for the desire to give thanks, and especially to give thanks when we don't even want to give thanks. It's easy to give thanks for those who are healed. However, not all will be healed. But all have been saved, and they know it, and they give thanks. Thanks for health, yes, but thanks that in the sickness in the depths of what looks to all the world like despair, there was joy hidden away all along. It was there. And maybe something was purified, something was cleansed inwardly by the sickness itself that let that joy be seen for what it is, for those who made it that far without seeing it. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we, if we endure, we will also reign with him. We just have to endure, he's saying. God will make sure of the reigning. We do not need every day to be a good day. We do not need to see a daily victory. But we need to endure. 
to cultivate the habit of hanging on and hanging in. And when we don't, when we can't, don't despair at that. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is where our confidence lies and our healing lies and our hope and the whole thing, not in us, in him, not in our faithfulness, in his faithfulness. And the victory is his, his to share with us, no matter how dark the day, no matter how occluded by the clouds of doubt and despair, that joy remains, burning bright, our true light within. And we must ever be ready for the thanks he will give to us to give to him when that joy emerges and re-emerges as it always will. Amen.